The snow grows white on the mountain tonight Not a footprint to be seen A kingdom of isolation And it looks like I'm the queen The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried Don't let them in, don't let them see Be the good guy you always have to be Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know Well now they know Let it go, let it go Can't hold it back anymore Let it go, let it go Turn away and slam the door I don't care what they're going to say Let the storm rage on Cold never bothered me anyway Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 13th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. Also with us is Jan Simpson. Jan is a theater journalist who writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts the Broadway radio podcasts Stagecraft and All the Drama. She has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. Hello, Jan. Hi. And Jan, we, uh, we've been hearing a lot from you in your shows on Broadway radio in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks. You're, you're cranking them out. Uh, this morning, <laughs> this morning, uh, actually yesterday morning, um, in the public podcast feed, we had uh, Miss Lulu Bett, which uh, by Zona Gale, which was the 1921 Pulitzer Prize winner. And it's very interesting, Jan, that you delved into something I had no idea about, about that the, the show, the ending was changed after it opened on Broadway. Yeah, we think about social media today. <laughs> um, there was a letter uh campaign to uh, change the ending. This is the first play by a woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama. And she was a feminist, um, uh, Zona uh, Gale, the playwright. And she, she had a feminist ending. And people didn't like that ending. And so about two weeks after the show opened, she changed it to be a more conventional ending where the woman goes off with a man instead of off on her own. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. And you brought up the point in the uh, podcast uh, about whether the Pulitzer Committee reviewed the original version or the revised version. So interesting, these type of uh tidbits of information for all of us who love Broadway so much. Uh, thank you so much for getting into that and all the drama. It's a wonderful, wonderful series. Thank you. It's it's fun to do. I'm learning so much. It's, it's really great fun to do. So Peter is uh, not with us this week. He's actually moving uh, apartments in Manhattan, and uh, he will return to us next week. With us this morning, we have a very special guest. Santino Fontana is with us. Broadway fans know Santino from all sorts of crazy things <laughs> all over Broadway. Hello, Dolly, Act One, Cinderella, The Importance of Being Earnest, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Billy Elliot. I, I mean, Santino, you, you've been part of so many Broadway lives uh, growing up here, uh, as well as uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on Television. Uh, Shades of Blue, Mozart in the Jungle. And then coming up, uh, starting tomorrow and, uh, three dates, Monday, Friday, and Sunday, November 14th, 18th, and 20th at 54 Below. You're going to be, uh, entertaining, um, folks in a small room and tell us if we come there to 54 Below, what, what are we going to see? Well, I wish I could tell you. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know. Here's what I've decided to do in the in it's, taking a page from the pandemic, which basically taught me, and I think it's taught all of us that you can't really plan the future. 
yeah. world will surprise you and you have to roll with it. That's what the concert's going to be. So it's going to be kind of a, a choose your own adventure uh, night. Each show will be completely different. I have a selection of songs that <clears throat> I may or may not end up singing. All the songs that are there will end up in whatever order they end up in. And I will tie them all together and kind of keep my improv skills on point. And uh, yeah, this is the first time though in New York where I've, I've always, I've always avoided, I don't know why, but I never have really done a, an evening of like theater music with just me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so this is, they wore me down. And I finally was like, you know what? Yeah. Why not? Like the pandemic, the world's you know, almost came to an end. Let's do it. Um, so that's what this will be. An evening of theater music in a free form kind of fun, you know, let's get back together kind of a way. Bare bones, get a piano. Who's your musical director? I'm using Cody Owenstein. I like to mix it up. I like, I, there are so many amazing musicians and pianists. I, it's hard for me to pick just one. So I like all of them. <laughs> Cody Owenstein <laughs> is one of the uh, associate conductors for Town currently. He also has a jazz background, which I love. And uh, so he'll be playing with me Monday, Friday, and Sunday, 7 p.m. Well, apparently 54 was right in thinking there would be a demand for this show because I checked the website and it's really uh, kind of almost sold out. We're doing okay. I mean, the, yeah, I was a little afraid. You're always afraid, right? Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I uh, Friday, there are there are more tickets Friday, which I think is strange. I'm like, what's that mean? What, no, I'm like, Friday? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, but no, there there are tickets. So if people want to come out they i'm sure they can they can try and i will apologize if they can't get in (laughs) and hopefully maybe i'll do another one you know down the road um yeah it's just been so long since i've been able to really you know live performance is something that there's so many of us that we thrive on that we love it so the opportunity to do it i had to jump i had to jump at it how did you put together your songbook are they drawn? Are the songs drawn from shows you've done, or just songs you love? I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty big stickler with the song. I feel like every song has to be a great song. Meaning mm-hmm. for me, that means it the song would have to gain applause on its own, regardless of who sings it. <laughs> so I, I feel I'm not. I don't really go for. Yeah, I'm I'm tough with that. Like it's got to work and it's got to stand not the test of time, but it has to be like undeniably a good song. So that's kind of what I and also I, you know, chose songs looking back at my life that have meant different things at different points in my life um or had I have a different story with each of them. So and it's 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 a pretty wide range, I'd say. Uh, you you have a uh, wide range. You have stories from James Earl Jones to Ryan Gosling. That's a that's wide. Yeah, it is. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. In in reading down your credits, um, your long list of credits, I, I think uh, James somehow skipped over Tootsie, so we should probably mention that. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the Tony Award, you know, uh, that little Tony Award there. That thing there, you know, I we 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 missed that one. I my my apologies because I, what I was really uh, wanted to ask you about is that. Um, you did have that little part in that that little frozen film uh-huh. uh, and uh and I can say this because I'm pretty sure my wife doesn't listen to these podcasts <laughs> so my wife my wife is a crazy Disney person, like so like totally over the top crazy and and her sister and the extended family they're all crazy disney people and ha- ha- have you had to deal with the crazy disney people through your association with uh, as hans in frozen well one of the great things is it, no one recognizes you because it's just a voice so you're it's it's like having a great huge secret uh, <laughs> as you walk around Disneyland with little girls, you know, at Halloween, I mm. took my daughters uh, trick or treating, and you know, there are Elsas and Annas everywhere. Yeah, can, I just want to, you know, and I'm on an airplane and I'm sitting next to a kid who's watching it. That happens all the time. It happens uh. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of a great secret. It's a great secret to have that no one knows. <laughs> and I don't. So I don't really. 
Sorry, you certainly have. You, you certainly uh, have grown some fans that follow you now. Are they going to show up at Fifty Four Below? And if if you don't sing sing Love Is an Open Door, that's a problem. You know. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I mean. Listen, I think yes, I think there are fans who come who because of Frozen definitely. I also do a lot of audiobooks. I I did an audiobook. Where oh, really? I basically, serial killer. And there was a. <laughs> A show I did, what did I do? There was some show I did that these these fans came. They met me at Stage Door, and I was like, and they were like, "Hi, we're fans of of the it's uh, the audiobook was called You. It's a bit, now there's a television show of it as well, but um, they where I play a serial killer. They're like, we're big fans of the audiobook You, so we came to this, and they like came to the I think they came to the um the Alan Mink, the God bless you, Mister Rosewater at, at Encore. Mm. Yeah. So I was like, to so you never know who's coming. I mean, there's people who came to a concert I did in Indianapolis who loved Shades of Blue and wanted to talk to me about, you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez and the, the cop I played who was thrown off a building by Ray Liotta. So it's all, <laughs> I know, you know, they're all welcome. I love it. Uh, yeah. But Frozen in particular, that what's unique about it is how anonymous you are. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really it's cool. That and you're also, you know, around the world doing symphony work. Uh, do you have any? Uh, I, I know the symphony stuff is booked months, years in advance, and things uh, like that. Uh, how is how, how is the symphony work looking for you know next spring, next summer? Can we catch you somewhere around the world? I don't think there. Yeah, I think right now I don't think I have anything really lined up. You, you know, it's a weird time right now for that stuff also because of uh live performance but again yeah. anytime an orchestra calls and asks me to sing i go so uh i don't know if i have anything i don't think i have anything lined up right now which is uh i gotta work on that i guess yeah but, but you've I, been busy uh yes you have. you have you have your own thing benefit coming up so tell us yes. about that so your own thing is a musical adaptation of Twelfth Night that the Red Bull Theater is doing as their benefit. I'm going to be in it with Lily Cooper and Eddie Cooper <gasps> and uh, Leslie Margarita and uh, a bunch of other great people. Uh, Jesse Berger, he wrote to me a long time ago, the artistic director, and asked if I would help, you know, help out. And I was like, of course, we have to get all of our uh, off-Broadway theaters as well up and running again and back to where we were. So anything else can do to help. And you have a studio cast recording of the Violet Hour that just came out. Uh, yes, with yes. Uh, some, you know, it was you and some other slackers that were on it as well. <laughs> so uh, Erica, Henning, Erica Henningsen, Jeremy Jordan, Slea Pfeiffer, Brandon Uranowitz, uh, the uh, a musical adaptation of Richard Greenberg's play. So, uh, how long ago did you record that? That was right at the beginning. I feel like that was two years ago we started. I got a phone call from Andy Einhorn, who was the music oh, director yeah. for Cinderella, mm-hmm. as well as um, Hello, Dolly. And he was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I think it's really good. Do you want to do, because of the pandemic, they were uh, stopped uh, from doing their workshop as they had planned, you know, workshops and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that what they decided to do, Eric Price and Will Reynolds, very talented young songwriters, they decided to make a cast album to kind of show here's what we want to, this is what it would sound like. And uh, yeah, we did it two years ago. It's finally come out. It's fully orchestrated. Charlie Rosen did the orchestrations. Uh, It's like a 30 piece orchestra. It sounds, I think it sounds really great. And um, it's called, yeah, it's called the Violet Hour. You can find it anywhere you get um, your music. (laughs) Yeah. You can get it at the the Violet Hour a musical.com and I'll have a link to that in the show notes for all these different things that uh that Santino has been involved with that is really amazing just so, um for for those who don't know uh quickly your your own thing was a 1968 off Broadway musical adaptation of Twelfth Night and it ran 937 performances off Broadway wow. which was kind of unusual <laughs> uh yeah. you know in those days so uh i'm i'm you know it's you don't see this show every day uh so this sounds like something that might be really special yeah yeah it should be fun yeah i, I should have mentioned that yeah are you um uh do, do you uh do you have a specific role in it or are people just singing songs from it My, no i'm playing no no we're all we're doing the full we're doing it we're doing uh, we're doing the book we're doing uh i mean we're not staging it but it's uh 
Orson, I think. I'm, I'm basically the Duke. Orsino, yeah. Orsino, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, but his name is Orson. And, uh, I can't yeah. remember. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Lily and Eddie play brother and sister, which will be great. Viola and uh, Sebastian. And then, um, yeah, it should be fun. Um, yeah. Leslie, Mar- Leslie Margarita, Michael Cerberus, yeah. Cuccioli, Tova. Tova's going to be <laughs> Richard Kind, Ken Page, Patrick Page. Estelle yeah. Parsons, Mary Testa, wow, and That's Bruce Alanchich. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so Santino Fontana is going to be at Fifty Four Below tomorrow uh, through next Sunday, Monday the fourteenth at seven p.m., Friday the eighteenth at seven p.m., and Sunday, November twentieth at seven p.m. So you have plenty of opportunities to to get down to 54 below and we'll have links to that and all the other things in our show notes. Santino, thanks for coming visiting with us on Broadway Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys. Some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me Okay, so Michael and Jan got over to the Jacobs Theater to see Almost Famous, the adaptation musical of the film. So, Michael, why don't you get us started? Yeah, in this case, I saw the film when it came out way back in 2000, um, the film that Featured, among other people, uh, Billy Crudup, Kate Hudson, Jason Lee, Zoe Deschanel, Francis McDormand. Um, but I had, although I liked it, <laughs> I had very little memory of it. So I had a, a kind of weird sensation of almost going into this cold, even though I wasn't because I had seen the movie. Uh, but uh, and actually, I think maybe that explains my reaction to the musical Um Book and lyrics uh, by Cameron Crowe, music and uh, uh, co-lyricist Tom Kitt. Uh, and my reaction is that I found it this show very enjoyable, but um, very slight. Uh, it's the story of this high school boy who decides um, that he wants to become a rock journalist, a rock music journalist, and he winds up... Um, through a bunch of unlikely events, but apparently based on truth, uh, uh, just following a band called Stillwater around the country. Uh, And it's about his experiences. It's very much a coming of age story um, and very sweet. And uh, it's got the, all of the tropes. I think you would probably expect from a story like that, but I didn't feel like there was ultimately much, quite enough narrative Qua, uh, content, uh, you know, for a full, for a full musical, it just seemed like a lot of it was treading water, and some of the points were really kind of obvious. Um, it was very much elevated by the performances. Uh, uh, Annika Larson in the Francis McDormand role, um, this incredible young performer Casey likes um, in the central role of, of William Miller. Uh, the performance I attended, I unfortunately did not see uh, Chris Wood in the Billy Crudup role of Russell Hammond. He was out, but I did see his understudy Van Hughes, who was excellent. So I um, uh, I would like to maybe try to get back to see Chris Wood, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm, I was not disappointed in Van Hughes. And there's a lot of other great people in it. Drew Gelling and um, uh, Rob Coletti. Uh, so I, I think the performances were very good. And the, the show moved very well as directed by Jeremy Heron. Uh, but I, that was my feeling. I, I just kind of thought it, it, it was not, not a really compelling narrative. Um, and, uh, so, and, and, uh, uh, it's interesting uh, from what I have read, the reviews overall of this show were quite poor. I, I would say I liked it more than that, but I, I, I guess I could understand why, uh, those reviews, so many of them were so negative. And I think it's for the reason that I stated also, as I said to someone, uh, recently, uh, what I said was it never works 
when they mix a, a new score with uh, with old songs, and that that is the case here a little bit. There's not there aren't too many uh, older songs. I think just three, um, one of which is Tiny Dancer, which is used as the finale of Act One, uh, I believe. And so uh, I, I, it's kind of uh, it's kind of awkward. I always feel when, when that happens. Um, and then another song that another old song that's used is I, I'm not sure what the title is. It's called The River, the mm-hmm. one that goes, it's coming yeah. on Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the audience responds so, so well to them because they're all favorites. And it, it kind of makes the new songs, regardless of how good they are, and they are very good, um, kind of pale in comparison because they don't have that resonance. So it, this is a problem when you do a show about um, that's about <laughs> a show about music or, and about rock music specifically in this case. There was an issue I remember with uh, High Fidelity. I loved that show. I thought the score was fantastic. But in that case, they did not use um the old songs that they kept referring to throughout the show and, and people miss them. So I think you're damned if you do, if, and you're damned if you don't. And I, I personally don't think I would ever become involved in a project like this because I wouldn't know how to make it work and keep everybody happy. Um, but those are my thoughts on Almost Famous. I'm sorry the reviews were so poor, um, especially for these incredible f- performers. Uh, and Casey likes, uh, no matter what happens with the show, I think you're going to hear from him again and again and again. So, Jan, what did you think about Almost Famous? Um, unlike Michael, I had um, seen and remembered the <laughs> movie, and I had been a great fan of the movie. And actually, after seeing uh, the stage production, I came home and watched the movie again. Mm. Um, I don't think the, the musical is a disaster, but I think it could have been so much better mm. if they had gotten, number one, a professional book writer, as mm. opposed to yeah. Cameron Crowe. Uh, telling, uh, you know, this story has been very successful for him. He lived this experience of being a young journalist and it, uh, this initial assignment that the show is centered around started his very successful career for Rolling Stone and other rock magazines, um, back in the, uh, 80s, 90s, I guess. Uh, And then he turned it into this very successful movie. It pops up on all kind of 100 favorite movie lists. (laughs) Um, So it's a really beloved movie. uh, And I think he thought, okay, third time's the charm. I'm going to turn this into a musical. And he needed someone who knew, you know, looking from the outside, it's easy to make a musical and it ain't, it's really, really hard. (laughs) And he needed someone who knew how to shape it or he knew he needed a director who knew how to do a musical. Uh, uh, Jeremy Heron is a really accomplished, really successful director. As I understand it, he was handpicked by Cameron Crowe to do this show. Um, his big successes are the uh, most recent uh, revival of Noises Off. And, of course, he did that whole uh, Wolf Hall Mm. Uh, uh, experience, I guess you'd say, mm. uh, <laughs> on, on Broadway. But he hasn't done a musical. And that's a, that's just a different animal. And I think for those of us who do remember the musical and uh, the movie and did love uh, the movie, the actors in this production were all good, all accomplished people, but they lacked the charisma of the people who were in that movie. It was it was um cast with so many offbeat <laughs> actors. You've got Francis McDormand as his mother. You've got Philip Seymour Hoffman as his mentor. And you've got Billy Crudup at his sexiest <laughs> as this this rock god. And they're all the the actor who played the central role of the young journalist was someone named Patrick Fugit. 
in the movie. And Patrick Fugit has gone on. He's still working. He has a successful career, but his, his career hasn't hit the, you know, the level of those uh, other people. And I think in part, his role was to be uh, us. We're, mm. at, we're looking at this world that he enters into and here in the musical, Casey likes dominates for me the the production, and he shouldn't dominate the production. He's this kid that we're, that's being swept into it, and so the person who's playing Russell, the major uh, charismatic member of the band, uh, should be someone that we're just so drawn to. And of course the, the role of Penny Lane, Mm. this um, young woman who doesn't want to be called a groupie, but is, and follows around the band. It becomes really Penny's story, which is a really poignant story of this young woman finally realizing that she has to go out on her own. She can't just be an appendage to these uh, musicians who really don't treat her that well. And Kate Hudson was heartbreaking in the role. And I just didn't find that with Saloya Pfeiffer. Um, the, the show is doing around 80% capacity, which is better than it's sort of in the middle it's doing better than a lot of the, the the musicals, particularly the new musicals, doing better than 1776, doing better than Into the Woods. Um, but I don't know that it's it's going to hang in there in the way that something like Hairspray did. You know, there's a successful transfer where from movie to stage Mm -hmm. and this this one just isn't as elegant and graceful a transfer for me so uh i saw it a few weeks ago and i I thought that i talked about it last week but i didn't because it was just uh uh, we ran out of time and, and and it just opened and nobody else had seen it so uh i'm looking at the grosses and what you're saying jan is uh while their percentages are going up, their grosses are still sitting at the six six hundred and forty thousand dollar level right now. Six between five seventy five and six forty one right now, they they can't sustain that. Uh, you know, uh, January February are are mean card hard cold months, <laughs> and uh, that that will be tough. But it does have tremendous name recognition if they can market this show correctly. Um, they can get butts and seats. Uh, with that said, uh, I, when I saw it, I, uh, I, I, I try to really separate, uh, previous, not only previous productions for revivals, but also previous works like the film, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, let this property stand alone on its own. And I think that, uh, uh, both of you have brought up really good points. This whole thing, uh, you know, Cameron Crowe definitely needed somebody more familiar with the Broadway genre to make this uh, this transfer from film to stage uh, a little bit better. And uh, from what I have read, this uh, the Casey Likes character is based, you know, Cameron Crowe. This is more autobiographical. Right. So... Um, He's sort of writing about himself. I, I think we need the third eye mm-hmm. to to step in there and help out. I think that there were directorial disasters in here, and I'm not sure if it was, um, you know, Cameron Crowe or if it was the, you know, the director, uh, you know, uh, final uh, discussions. This Jeremy Harriman directed it, um, and but one of the things about Hollywood versus Broadway is that in Hollywood, the uh, the studio has final say, and on Broadway, the writer has final say mm-hmm. on everything from casting to direction to uh, it, it could be the color of uh, a character's shirt. the The writer has final say over everything on Broadway, 
And so if there were uh, directorial decisions that were odd, I, I don't know if it was Jeremy Harriman or if Cameron right. Crowe was in the room and saying, I'd like it this way. I, You know, I... Do you two, the two of you remember that scene where they were in the uh, the hotel uh, ice room when it's the uh, Solea Pfeiffer and um, uh, Rob Coletti scene uh, where they were they this kind of their first love scene between the two of them uh, and they were just walking around not talking to each other and I was like those those little ice rooms ice rooms and hotels are like really really tight and you can't you can't walk around and you guys are having serious discussions and you're wandering around the stage and i'm like what the hell's going on here you guys need to be looking at each other and using when you're not looking at each other to really build the tension there and i'm like this is a real directorial problem that that whole ice bucket uh, the whole ice room scene in the hotel was I was I was so frustrated with it. Uh, on the flip side of it, Anika Larson, I loved Anika Larson great. as the mother. Yeah. Casey Likes is wow. I can't wait to see what else we get from Casey Likes, who played the uh, the young boy, the, the journalist. Um, and I really like Celia Pfeiffer, and I maybe it's because I'm not comparing her to the film, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I really liked Celia Pfeiffer, and I and I hated the placement of. Tiny Dancer as yeah. the end of Act One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was like, it was like, it felt like it was wedged in there. Like, yeah. everybody coming to see this wants to see Tiny Dancer, and so we'll uh, use I, it as the end of Act. So one. we'll use it as yeah, the end of Act One. Meanwhile, I actually have the, uh, I. I I can't even remember what we call it. I'm going to call it a cast recording, but it's not a cast recording. What's the soundtrack? The, the soundtrack. I, have the, <laughs> I can't get those words out. I have the soundtrack from the movie, and I, I listened to it over and over and over and over for, for many, many years, and I missed all the other songs, right. all that they, mm-hmm. they put in the Led Zeppelin here and there and things like that, but they used a different Led Zeppelin. Hmm. Uh, like I it, said, damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a no-win situation, you know. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to shoehorn in that, but, uh, so, so interesting, but, you know, film and Broadway are two totally different beasts mm-hmm. and not, not one is better than the other, but, uh, I, I don't think that this almost famous works, but I hope that I do see Casey Likes and Anika Larson and Saloy Pfeiffer, up for awards and I hope that, you know, it will make it through. And I think this is going to tour really well. And I think that if they market it, well, I think this will, this will play, but it doesn't seem like they're marketing it. By the way, I did, I saw it late, uh, not to last week, but I'm pretty sure Cameron Crowe was in the audience. Uh, Hmm. So he really seems very, very invested in this, which is not surprising. (laughs) Oh, sure. You know, this is the, uh, if, yeah, if if he's in the EGOT world, this is his only tea opportunity, you know. <laughs> but, he, but he also says that uh, in many interviews that uh, his mother, uh, who took him, she was a, a single mother, she was a widowed mother, and she took him to theater as a kid. And yeah. she always mm-hmm. wanted Almost Famous to be a musical. She died uh, two days before their first preview oh. when they were at the Old Globe. And whenever he gives interviews, I've seen, I think, three interviews he's given. And I don't think this is something um, he's just putting on. He tears up or his voice craps when he talks about how much this meant to his mother. And so I, I think not only is the original story personal, Putting on this musical is personal for him. Right. Yeah, I heard a hand, handful of uh, interviews with him. He did a Fresh Air interview on NPR uh, with Scott Simon. I'll, I'll put that in the. I'll link to that in the show notes. Some really great interviews they, uh, with with Cameron. Um, and so that is almost famous at the Jacobs and. Uh, 
we'll see how it goes. I guess uh, Peter hasn't talked about this. Maybe we'll get Peter's take on it next week. So uh, last week, Michael talked about a raisin in the sun down at the public, and Jan, you also got a chance to see that. So tell us, what were your thoughts on a raisin in the sun? Well, I know Michael was um, very negative on, yes. on this <laughs> uh, production, and I, I agree with many of the points that, that Michael um, made, but I'm also sympathetic to um, – the desire to do this show differently from the way it's always been done. Um, we had the 2004 revival with Sean Combs, Audrey McDonald, and Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad won uh, a Tony for playing Lena, um, uh, the mother in yes. the, the, the show. And then we had 2014. Uh, with Denzel Washington, uh, Sophie Okonoto, and Latanya Richardson, and Sophie Okonoto won um, a Tony for playing the wife of uh, Ruth. Um, and there was and also those- a TV version of the uh, the uh, Sean Combs, Audrey McDonald version. Right, yeah. right. And those were pretty, uh, you know, straight, traditional Straightforward, yes. yeah. ways of, of doing this. Um Robert O'Hara, in a way, this was restrained for Robert O'Hara. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's sort of a, a, which, a, a, sort of a weird word to put, but he's sort of a Baroque kind of director. <laughs> I mean, if you can put a curly cue on it, he's putting a curly cue on it. It's really, his visions are really grand and extravagant and big. And he sort of restrained himself here until till the end and I'll get to that in a second. Um but um I think a lot of the choices that he made for me were wrong. Um uh I too didn't like the 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 ghost or the memory however one wants to define it this additional character that he created. Um I too was annoyed by the sex scene. I didn't think that was necessary. <laughs> I didn't um like the idea of an alcoholic uh Walter Lee. Um from the very beginning uh, of the play, he's drinking beer with his breakfast in the morning. Um, th- th- there were a lot of just little uh, filigrees, little things he put on that I didn't care for. However, social media suggests that he's really striking a chord with younger viewers. Hmm. Um, they seem to really connect to the anger, uh, the, the anger that's roiling underneath the production. Uh, and I'm not sure that they would connect to it in such a way if it were a traditional, um, production. And I think that final coup de theatre, if you want to call it that, um, when he brings the the uh, youngers into the present in a way, um, I think that really resonates with them. It didn't for me, not because I disagreed with what they were finding. I mean, interestingly enough, Lorraine Hansberry's family, although they were a well-off family, they were not... Um, like the youngers, a, a, a poorest family family. Her father was a very successful real estate person mm. in uh, Chicago. And, but when he moved his family into a white neighborhood, the neighbors were not welcoming. And he had to sue, which he did to be able to continue to stay in his neighborhood. He's, stayed up many nights with a shotgun on his lap to protect his family. So I'm not sure that Lorraine Hansberry would disagree with what um, Robert O'Hara did at at the end of, of the play. But for me, it was just too imitative of what so many other um, playwrights and directors have been doing over the past three or four years. Um, 
uh, Jackie Sybil's jury in her play Fairview does something somewhat similar where she's putting the audience, um, she's really confronting the audience. Alicia Harris does the same thing in um, What to Send Up When It Comes Down, which played several times uh, over the past three years uh, in New York, even during the pandemic. And this just seemed to me as though he were jumping on the bandwagon, um, particularly when he has that uh, uh, direct address that he has Walter Lee make to the audience. I wish he had found uh, different ways to convey this new vision, this this desire to uh, engage with what's going on in America in terms of race relations now. So I didn't, the production didn't work for me, um, but I respect what he was trying to do. Um, and it's satisfying uh, a lot of people. It's playing to full houses and people just talking about it on social media. And, um, you know, that's part of, I think, what theater is supposed to do. It's supposed to get us talking, thinking, um, uh, confronting our own feelings uh, about issues. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wishy-washy on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's a raisin in the sun at the public theater uh lots of um lots of online discussion about this as as mm-hmm. jan has mentioned so that is playing through november 20th so you have a week left to go check it out and uh, i'll have a link to that in the show notes if you can get a ticket yes uh <laughs> as we talked about last week it's it's a tough tough ticket to get so uh, Michael, you saw uh, two different cabaret shows, uh, Jeff Harner and Leslie Oglums. So tell us about them. Yeah, we had Jeff uh, as a guest on our podcast recently to talk about his show, which was a, a Cy Coleman show, uh, a brilliant follow-up to his amazing Stephen Sondheim show that he did uh, a while ago and the album based on that. But this one was Cy Coleman, uh, Monday, November 7th at Birdland. And it was really, really fantastic as, as is his want. Uh, he was working on, on this case in this case, again, with Alex Rybeck, um, who is his most frequent collaborator as musical director and pianist. And they also had um, the, the band was Fantastic. Jay Leonard on bass, Ray Marchica on drums, and Aaron Hike um, on, uh, I think it was, uh, oh yeah, flute and sax. He was switching back and forth between flute and sax. And that really added a lot um, just to, uh, you know, to have that that extra instrument there um, with it, just to the traditional combo. Um, and it was a wonderful evening of great arrangements and fantastic performances by Jeff. Uh, once again, he, um, he showed his cleverness in the, in the very opening number, uh, because I guess it had never really occurred to me that three of Cy Coleman's biggest hit songs uh, prominently featured the word, Hey. <laughs> so uh, Jeff started with Hey, Big Spender, and then he mm-hmm. went into Hey, Look Me Over. Uh, hey, Big Spender is uh, from Sweet Charity. Hey, Look Me Over is from Wildcat. And then uh, into Hey There, Good Times from I Love My Wife. <laughs> and it was just so <laughs> clever. And I'm sitting there saying, why did I never think of that? <laughs> um, it, it was a, a great opening. And the whole rest of the show was equally fantastic. And the audience just loved it. So I hope we get an album of this one, too. Um, and then on Friday, I was very, very lucky to get to see the amazing Leslie Uggams um, perform at 54 Below. And she uh, said that it had been quite a number of years since she last performed there. Obviously, uh, you know, the the pandemic happened in between. And she talked a lot about that and how wonderful it was to be performing for a live audience again, because I guess this was her first time doing so since the pandemic. Um, And she, I, 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 I cannot overemphasize how phenomenal um, 
the phenomenal condition of her voice. I, I think we can all think of several other older performers um, whose voices remain in fantastic condition. But the difference with Leslie, uh, I, I think, is that uh, that her voice is so pristine and 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 so intact that it seems to me that she even sings everything in the same keys as she always used to. <laughs> um, and, you know, she is turning 80 very soon. So that that's wow. quite unusual uh she uh, was a tony award winner for hallelujah baby and she sang not one but two songs from that uh which is uh something that i'm sure the crowd expected to hear and she delivered with that um she did uh, a wonderful uh she has a great sense of humor over her infamous infamous performance of june is busting out all over <laughs> um and she uh uh told the background story of that, which actually I had heard before because I had seen Leslie uh, appear with uh, Seth Radetzky in one of his chatterboxes. And, and, and to make a long story short, it was this event, I think it was July 4th, was it, in, in Washington, D.C. And she was supposed to sing something else. Uh, and at the last minute, they asked her to sing Judas Busting Out All Over. And she said, well, I know the song, but I don't know the lyrics. And they said, that's so, no problem. You'll have cue cards. But then it rained torrentially that day. And then it finally stopped, but the ground was sopping wet. And so the guy with the cue cards slipped and fell and they went everywhere. <laughs> And she had to sing the whole song without knowing the lyrics. <laughs> um, so, and then she said, uh, "She said, well, you know, but I'm a professional, and I just kept going." And and then about a year later, a friend called me up and said, "Honey, do you know you're in every gay bar in America?" <laughs> <laughs> and Leslie said, "Doing what?" <laughs> and he explained that the video of that performance was, you know, had become a a, a cult favorite, with, even with. Um, uh, transliterations of what of the lyrics that she was singing <laughs> so she she uh herself read read the read the lyrics that she sang uh the nonsense lyrics that she sang but then to prove she could do it she uh she uh she read the actual lyrics <laughs> uh so i i thought thought it was great that she did all that and then um the whole set was fantastic she did a beautiful uh melding i guess you would say of the the beatles song yesterday with the song yesterday's from roberta uh the jerome kern musical roberta and uh as i told her afterwards i, I don't think i've ever heard anyone put those two songs together but now that you've done it it seems so natural and so beautiful even though the songs are in very different styles because one was written in the in the 30s and the other in the 60s um so it's great that these people uh, are, are so talented and also that they that they uh they really work on their acts and and give us really fantastic material and great arrangements and and clever clever arrangements so uh, i was thrilled to be there and if uh when and if leslie returns uh 254 or or anywhere else in live performance i would say really try to catch her all right so that is uh jeff harner and leslie uggams uh i'll have uh links back to them in the show notes but as michael said we've uh will have to be for future shows as these uh, runs have completed. Mm. Jan, you got uh, over to Laura Pels to see the play You Will Get Sick. Michael talked about it a little bit. Uh, what did you? What's your take on it? Well, um, my, Michael and I saw the exact same performance because we happen to be sitting right next to each other. Mm. <laughs> so so you um, can't say you didn't see the same play that I did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um I think maybe I liked it maybe better than 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 Michael did at, at, when it started. This is a play about a young man just very quickly a young man who uh has a illness um he is trying to cope with it and he hires uh, a woman to whom he can talk 
about his illness, to whom he can confess that he's ill, very ill, and a relationship develops between uh, the two of them. It's by a very young and new playwright named Noah Diaz. He either is still at or recently graduated from what used to be the Yale School of Drama and is now the Geffen School of Drama. Uh Um, And when the play started, I didn't think I was going to like it. There's a lot of narration. Um, uh, There's a voiceover narration. Thank you for bringing that up, Jan, because somehow I forgot to mention it. And it's a very salient point of this production that the, an offstage voice is reading the stage directions. Yeah. And basically, yeah. And I, I thought, "Mm, I don't know, Yeah, but, (laughs) but I found myself uh, moved by what is really a sort of surreal look at how we deal with death. Mm. Um, those are people we love, our own deaths, um, uh, the people who have to care for us as, um, as we're in decline. And I, I just, I don't know if it, there was, there was some whimsy in the direction by Sam, um, Pinkleston, which, which made me smile and which I liked. Um, the performances by Daniel K. Isaac and, uh, Linda Lavin, I thought were just delightful. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought maybe the role was tailor made for Linda Lavin. It just seemed like such a, she just put it on like an old coat. Um, it just fit her so well. But then I began to think that a lot of older actresses would be um, great in the role. And I think this will have a life um, at regional theaters uh, around the country because um, the uh, acting opportunities are are so yummy um, for an older actor. Uh, uh, actress for um, a, a young guy to to sink his teeth into. This was a show that also did um, just. I don't, I don't think we can even call it non traditional casting. It just blew through that. It had people who were related to one another, who were um, uh, ethnically racially different, and it didn't matter. Um, within the context of this world, uh, the surreal elements of these birds that people are are wondering about that 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 are dangerous and that they're trying to evade the the playfulness of introducing the Wizard of Oz, um, and I think the whole concept of over the rainbow what what is over there what is afterlife what what i thought he just played with a lot of things he is again a young playwright so maybe he didn't juggle them all perfectly well but he reminded me of a young christopher durang mm. where there's mm. this sort of um antic sensibility but rooted in a kind of pathos uh, that uh, I really liked. Hmm. All right. So that's, um, you will get sick at the Roundabout Theater Company's Laura Pell's Theater. It's uh, playing through December 11th. Jan, you got over after that or before that? Somewhere, <laughs> somehow. Somewhere. Yeah, that, uh, that's how I feel. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> to the Manhattan Theater Club to see where the mountain meets the sea. So tell us about that. This is a strange piece. It's by uh, the playwright Jeff Augustine, and I still don't know if if it's a play or a musical. <laughs> There's a, a lot of music. It deals with two characters. It's a sort of a two-character play, but a four-character musical. I'll explain in a sec. The play is a series of alternating uh, monologues between one man who is a Haitian immigrant to America, not in the stereotypical uh, way that we think of uh, immigrants from Caribbean nations coming in um, 
or or Latin American nations coming in. Um, this is a guy who was a teacher in Haiti. He uh, comes in on a visa, but he's not able to get teaching jobs here in the U.S. And he works um I think it's like a bag carrier uh, uh, guy uh, at the airport in 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 Miami, and it, it he tells us his life in monologues, alternating with a, a young man who we find out is his son, and his son uh, is a young gay man who is somewhat estranged from his father. It doesn't seem necessarily that it's, um, uh, you know, his sexual identity that's estranged uh, of them. They're just on different wavelengths. And so we hear their stories. Um, the, The father's story begins with a car ride that he and his wife take when she is pregnant with their child. And the son's, uh, story begins with a car ride that he takes when he's driving across country or traveling across country to pick up the ashes of his father. Um, And again, these are, they don't dialogue with one another. These are all told to us in alternating monologues. These monologues are interrupted or, or, interspersed, whatever the correct word is, with songs. And these songs are by the Banksons. And some people may remember the Banksons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a, a husband and wife duo. They did uh, play um, or a show um, 100 Days based on their um, uh, relationship. Their songs are, I like the Banksons music. Um it's uh, somewhat folky, somewhat gospely, um, uh, but the songs don't really advance the plot here. As a matter of fact, they don't really seem connected to the plot here. Um, and there's a sameness to the songs in this production, so that even someone like me, who's a fan of the Bengtsons' music, sort of felt like, hmm, got anything else? So it was very strange because the Bengtsons are a white couple. This is a story about two Black men struggling to connect with one another. And so it was kind of like, I, I don't know. It was, it was almost just the, the Bengtsons called up and said, Hey, we need some work. And they said, Oh, come on over. And we got the show. Mm-hmm. We'll put you in the show. I, it was, it was. It was a really uh, odd fix, and it's only in the last number where the Bengtsons leave the stage and the two actors, Billy Eugene Jones and Chris Myers, who were both very good, where they sit together and sing a song. And so it's sort of, you know, finally, this father and son have connected. The last thing I want to say about this is Billy Eugene Jones is having a fantastic year. Um, He was in uh, Fat Ham for those, which was um, uh, this year's Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, 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 an adaptation of Hamlet. He was the, he was in the Claudius role. He was also in a play. Oh, and, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I'm going to try and uh, get it. That was, um, uh, let's see if I can get it very quickly. Um, yeah. On Sugarland, uh, hmm. Alicia Harris's play yeah. uh, down at New York Theater Workshop, where he played um, a, a, a veteran. Uh, he was fantastic. In all three, and the roles are so varied and, and so different. And a friend, um, and I want to give credit to, 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 to my friend Harry Hahn, who, um, uh, is a name people may, uh, recognize. Harry is a longtime, uh, a theater journalist. And Harry, uh, pointed out that this guy is just on fire and so versatile and, 
uh, as I was looking back at A Raisin in the Sun, he was actually in the 2014 version of A Raisin in the Sun as one of the movers. So mm. he's he's been around uh, a while, but he's really coming into his own. And so even in this sort of odd show, um, uh, Where the Mountain Meets the Sea, he uh, also gives it a particular kind of vibrancy. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know that I can fullheartedly recommend it, particularly when there's so much opening, so much going on, uh, in New York, but, um, I wish people could see it for, uh, his performance. Okay. That is Where the Mountain Meets the Sea at Manhattan Theater Club. It's playing through November 27th, so you have about two weeks to uh, check it out from today, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I've also put a, a link to the Bengtsons website, so you can kind of uh, check them out and get a feel for their music as well. Uh, they're a really interesting uh, music uh, couple and creator. So uh, last thing for this morning, uh, Michael, you uh, attended a uh, a tribute for Susan L. Shulman, our friend who passed away recently, uh, was uh, hosted by Charles Kirsch from Backstage Babel and Richard Skipper. Uh, so tell us about this. Well, yes, I attended it online uh, and I was one of the participants. I was so glad to be asked because Susan L. Shulman, she really was very beloved in the industry. Uh, she was a press agent, but um, she just seemed to be a, a real people person who who, who um, uh, had a, a talent for putting people together who, uh, uh, you know, both socially and, and uh, in terms of projects. And uh, she, she was, a, as I termed it, she seemed to be a really good matchmaker, um, not necessarily romantically, although she may have done that as well. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, in terms of um, just knowing two people that would be simpatico and, and introducing them to each other and, and lots of friendships, uh, lifelong friendships seem to have been formed at her behest. Uh, so I was really very, very glad to take part in this tribute, which uh, uh, as, as James mentioned, was put together by Charles Kirsch and Richard Skipper. Uh, but the participants included Kathleen Chalfant, uh, Deborah Grace Weiner, and Meg Bussert. Um, there was a, a video sent by Jason Grah. There was a message sent by Donna McKechnie. And it's uh, it's just obvious that everyone really, really loved Susan. And, and every single person, I think, mentioned her annual holiday party, uh, which was famous famous for her chopped chicken liver um, <laughs> uh and it was just uh people came for the food but <laughs> partly but mostly uh for because everyone loved to be around susan and the kind of people that she that she gathered around her so um i have uh we have a link to the uh to this tribute in the show notes you can click on that and watch it if you like all right so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our musical moment, I wanted to let you know that uh, you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that way. Each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Also, if you want to get us a little bit earlier than normal, like Jan's podcasts come out a week earlier on Patreon. Uh, this week on Broadway comes out uh, earlier in the day than, um, than you get it in the public feed. It'll come out earlier on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio and support us there. Uh, contact information for Jan, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including those NPR interviews with uh, Cameron Crowe and the, uh, the Bengtsons and the, uh, the video for the tribute to Susan Shulman. So, as I mentioned, Peter is out this week, but trivia will return next week. <laughs> Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, as James mentioned, uh, one of Santino Fantana's many roles was Hans in both Frozen and Frozen 2. 
uh, although mm. not much in Frozen 2, uh, but a lot in Frozen 1. Uh, and his big song, his big duet in that was, what's the title again? Uh, Love is an Open Door. Yes, yes. But um, in 2017, Santino took part in Broadway Backwards, which is a wonderful benefit that's been going on for quite some years now that uh, benefits both Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and also the Gay and Lesbian Center down on 13th Street. And the gimmick for that show uh, it has always been that men sing songs normally sung by women and vice versa. So on that occasion in 2017, a Santino performed Let It Go. And that is uh, <laughs> that is our both our opener and our closer uh, for today for obvious reasons. All right. So on behalf of Jen Simpson and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. And I'll rise like the break of dawn. Let it go. Let it go. That perfect boy is gone. Here I stand. And here I'll stay. The storm rage on. My power flurries through the air and to the ground. My soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around. And one thought crystallizes like an icy blast. break of dawn let it go let it go that perfect boy is gone here I'll stand in the light of day let the storm rage on the cold never bothered me anyway Ladies and gentlemen, Santino Fontana.